Hello everyone, it's Paul Newbegin here from the Past Podcast with some very exciting news. I am absolutely delighted that Series 5 of the Past Podcast is brought to you in partnership with our wonderful friends at Chefworks, who are our sponsors last time round as well, so it's great to have them back. And as you'll know, they are famous for outfitting chefs, kitchens and front of house all around the world. Chefworks offer a collection of great uniforms, so to check out their full range, you can visit chefworks.co.uk. Thank you again to Chefworks, and it's great to be back for Series 5 of The Past Podcast. Enjoy! Every series we kick off with a special episode and this one is no different. Last year we were in Hyde in London. This year we had to represent the North because I love representing the North because I am, after all, a uh, honorary Leeds boy. Uh, we went to Manchester and we went to Manor in Manchester to interview Simon, uh, the owner, and also Charlie who is a front of house uh, and pretty much the closest to a GM as they had a really different restaurant really um very ambitious we'll talk about that on the show but yes very stunning really really different something that you'll have seen uh and it's a really good chat enjoyed it a lot thanks enjoy the show you kind of start doing research and you kind of go into your background but I'd never bring any notes or anything so I always kind of liked it to be quite natural Yeah. yeah, but even from when I first you know before I really knew loads about you and loads about the project the thing that struck me straight away was like ambition yeah was that kind of like did you kind of realise how how ambitious this project was uh Probably not to the point where until 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 like the fit out was done and you know we started to see it come to life. Like it wasn't really nothing really felt real until until we started seeing things come in here. It almost felt like a sort of a bit of a game and just you know didn't really know that we were going to come out with a restaurant at it <laughs> with it at the end of it. And um, <clears throat> I suppose yeah, we knew we were ambitious and. I think that if we were going to do this, we might as well, you know, go balls deep, you know, and do it properly. You know, what, what I didn't want to do is open like some, you know, uh, another another restaurant that was running the mill, and then sort of build our way up. Like we said, we were going to do this. We're going to we're going to hit it hard and just go all guns blazing. Yeah. Um, it didn't really feel real until probably two weeks after we opened, like because it was all such yeah, a, like yeah. all such like a dream until yeah, yeah, that point. Yeah, yeah. And then we opened, and it's like, oh. People, people are like really enjoying this. It's, yeah. it's weird, and then <clears throat> it's only gotten better. Yeah. Like now, to this day, we are we're getting the best feedback we've, we've ever had, and it's just been getting better and better and better and better. Which is all we ever wanted. All we ever wanted to do was to to just be better every day. Yeah. And you know, right now we're on that trajectory, and uh, you know, and the guests that we get are amazing. You know, the staff, the team are amazing. Um, and I think I think we just look. 
it's just luck. Like, it's re- I think we just got really lucky. We, we can debate that. I, yeah. I think there's probably luck. There's probably a hell of a lot of skill in ah. as well. Yeah, a lot, I mean, a lot of organisation, a lot of preparation, um, and yeah, a, a fair amount of, of skill, I suppose. You know, people have good backgrounds and, and all the rest of it, and we chose the right people to work with um, in terms of like the kitchen and the, the fit out, um, the designers. All that sort of thing, you know. We think we were, we were really lucky in the sense that we we came across people who shared our ethos in in what we wanted to do. And, you know, this is this is a restaurant that's basically for us. Yeah. You know, this you know, we're, we're not looking. We're not doing this to make money. Yeah. So I worked in a few places like hotels. I hate doing afternoon teas. Hate doing lunch um, where it's like different menus to dinner and things like that. And you know working six days a week with split days off things like that so that we really basically created a restaurant for chefs you know this is this is a restaurant owned by a chef run by chefs um, and it works and you know everyone's really happy to, to do this I can't imagine any of these guys now <laughs> going and working in like a hotel doing like 100 covers in the evening having to make sandwiches in the afternoon yeah. and stuff like that you know and uh, swapping and changing things running three different menus so we really dug our heels in the ground with this yeah in the sense that we were just saying, you know, this is what we're going to do and nothing's going to change that. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't matter how many people say they want an a la carte option. It's like, we're not going to do it. We want to do one menu because we want consistency and we want the same things to be done by the same people every day. So everyone's off on the same days. Everybody comes back on the same days um, and, and, and we do the same thing. And, you know, sort of like a Japanese culture. You know, we're, all, we're all like pretty much obsessed with Japanese culture. <laughs> And, you know, that idea of just repetition of one yeah. thing and becoming a master of, of, of something instead of, you know, jack of all trades instead of, you know, mastering on. Yeah, yeah. We wanted to go the other, the other way instead of being that guy who can, uh, who can cook five things at once and, uh, you know, run around and things like that. It's like we didn't want that. We wanted, we wanted you know, a, a, a firm focus on, on everything that we do. There's, lo- there's lo- loads of times doing the podcast where I wish it was a vi- visual medium for yeah. the guests because this space is amazing and I love what you've done with it. And kind of coming back to what you're saying there, what f- fascinates me, I guess, is there's, there's always these time with, these, with projects like this where it's all in your head yeah. and then you have to make it happen. Yeah. So is, is kind of everything as you imagined, is everything as you wanted... To be honest, I can't really remember what I was imagining back then. <laughs> but you're right, you, you don't know what's going to happen. You, you don't know what's, what it's going to look like. And, you know, it's months and months in the planning to, to get it to the point where you start to see things that have just been drawn on paper. You know, I drew this restaurant on paper, like the whole thing. Um, I was fortunate enough to not have anything, any of the distractions uh, leading up to that time. It was like eight months in the process of, from sort of initial visualization conceptualization to actually it being done and we literally made it from nothing you know decided we wanted to do this made a logo made a couple of social media accounts and a friend from another restaurant who um, was a guest at Noma uh, when I was working there um, he had a few followers on Twitter and things like that and said you know this guy's opening a restaurant and Manchester News got onto it so literally anybody could sit there make a logo yeah. open a social media account put the logo in the profile picture yeah. and this could happen yeah. do you know what I mean so like, that's all we did and it just sort of like blew up and then we had people like contacting us saying do you need this do you need that do you need, do you need a unit do you, know, do you need investment do you need you know 
So I think we're just really, really lucky in that sense. But then obviously you had to have it <coughs> there, didn't you? You know, you mm. could, you had to. There can't be sort of smoke without a fire. You know, if if somebody asking you questions and want, you know, maybe wanting to back you or whatever, you obviously had to have that form. So where did where did the idea come from? Where had the inspiration been coming from? I think. I'm not going to lie. It all came from Noma, really. You know, obviously I've had a long, a longer career to get to this point, um, but just the idea of something just this grand, and uh, you know, wanting to be unique and really change the idea of changing the scene. I think that probably came from Noma. And to be fair, that's what um, that's what put us on the. You know, you definitely got our foot in the door in terms of like all the contact yeah. we got and the, you know the exposure and things like that. Now we're a little bit sick of it, like yeah. the references, you know, because yeah. we we genuinely have become. You know, we use Noma as, as like a business model, not not a business model actually. That's definitely not a business model, but um, yeah, Noma doesn't make money, neither do we. But um, we, we break even. Um, but you know, in terms of like the style and how we were going to set the restaurant up, how the kitchen was going to work, you know, yeah. the the ideology that we had, that was all very much. You know, we used it as a template. But only like six months in now, like we're very, very much our own restaurant in so many ways. You know, the stuff, you know, we do a lot of things here that we don't know of any other places doing in the way that we run things, the way that the staff are uh, treated, which is very well. <coughs> and um, it's kind of like a nice mix now between formality and, and informality. Yeah. We have, we've, we found, we feel, feel like we've found that perfect balance. When we opened, we were extremely casual, extremely casual. We were just like, you know, there'd be no... Uh, you know, we'd serve plates when people were up from the table, and um, you know, it w- there wasn't particularly much finesse. Like, we, you know, we'd, we'd allow waiters to carry three plates and things like that, and then sort of we'd do, over time we were like, no, we want to be better than this. We want to, we want to refine, and we want to be, you know, I hate the term fine dining because it doesn't really mean anything, but um, you know, we wanted to go into a, a little bit more of a, a refined um, style. Uh, but still keep that yeah. friendliness and that down to earth. your feet, isn't it? It's, yeah, exactly. It's exactly. Yeah. Like like we're just saying, it's something that you have to actualize, and you yeah. go, well, this is kind of what I thought manner was going to be. Yeah. But then it everything evolves, right? And it's that evolution of mm. what you know. You guys are still <laughs> relatively new. Oh god, yeah. And the sort of noise that you're making. I mean, you obviously caught my attention over in Leeds and stuff. So you're obviously kind of making the right noises, which is good. Yeah, I think so. I think um, you know. I don't know how it's got out. We had people like <clears throat> from great restaurants in London coming up here, like making special journeys to come and eat here, and we were all just like looking at each other. We, we're in a little bubble, like really, like we're in like this a little corner of Ancoats. We spend all our time here. We, we basically spend all the time on our days off with each other. You know, we don't really speak to anybody else. It's weird. Like we don't. We need to. We need to sort of spread out. A when little I bit. came in, it was like outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Outside. <laughs> Everyone just starts hiding yeah, in the corner. Yeah, yeah, right away. yeah. Um, but but yeah. So we didn't really know what was what was being said and yeah. what was going on and things like that. And then these people started turning up like these big names in the, in the industry and we were just thinking what's going on well, like, like, how do people know this I suppose it's like you saying I, I kind of want to pick because you know as a journalist or whatever the hell I am you don't you don't want to kind of I never want to like label a chef right Right. but it's like you said so you you know you get that as well to know right mm. and it pricks people's ears yeah and then obviously at some point you have to kind of move away from that yeah and I've kind of equated it to I remember talking to probably again my first ever interview Andrew Pern it's like 
I'm a big Paul Weller fan, and it's like everybody wants to talk about a town called Malice. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. it's your greatest hit, sure, isn't yeah. it? If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then you have to. Is that kind of how you almost see it? It's like it's yeah. something that it's helped you to a degree, but now you need to... absolutely. It was vital for us. Like yeah. we needed to open a restaurant that had people in it. <laughs> we couldn't just open a restaurant and wait six months for word to get around. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We we wouldn't have a, a you know we would have gone under by this point yeah. if that was the case. So obviously we used it. Um, but, but why not? You know, it's, it gets yeah. people excited and all the rest of it. This this is kind of what strikes me as well. It's like because if I was. I mean, how old were you when you were at Noma? Uh, I started when I was 25. Yeah, so if, I, well, if I'm a 25-year-old lad mm. and I'm working in one of the best restaurants in the world, it's probably hard not to be, like, massively inspired. Oh, and, God, yeah. Do yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So why, why should I blame you for being inspired by that? Well, no, I mean, you are, and that's, that's, you know, creative people are inspired by their experiences and you are always going to be drawn to sort of, you know, a little a, a, sort of... Not, I, don't, I don't like to use the word imitation, but you know, you, whatever you do is going to reflect your experiences. Yeah. You know, and obviously a restaurant like that, which is amazing, that's going to happen. But also, you know, you, you sacrifice a lot to work there, like a lot. You know, especially going to a different country. You know, we did a lot of hours at, at, in the original location, Strangard. Um, you know, you're talking 110, 120 hours a week sometimes, um, which is which seems unfathomable, but really like you would be going into work at 5am and leaving it to the next yeah. so you know you sacrifice a lot you put everything into it it becomes your life I loved it I loved Noma being my life um, but um, you know if you're going to give all that you need to take something away from it yeah. and if it's a case of yeah I worked in Noma to get exposure for this restaurant yeah, for, yeah of course I'm going to do that yeah. of course you know, I mean, yeah. who wouldn't like, yeah. you'd be stupid not to yeah. especially in terms of like techniques and things like that it's like, we, our cuisine isn't based on Noma it's it's a it's a collection of experiences from from my career and now like I said we're becoming in, we're coming into our own because we've had six months to develop things ourselves you know, we you know we've discovered two three techniques maybe that we don't know of it being done anywhere it probably has been done because everything's been done before but um, you know through uh, you know research you know, we, are, we have de- developed our own style massively so uh, so yeah it was great then and uh, we don't regret. You know the the route that we went down, and now it's brilliant in the sense that you know we're, we're coming to our own, and we are very much our own restaurant now. But obviously, as well, like you know the things which I like and which I've read about you, and it, it's it's so on trend, but it's also so relevant about you know using the British produce, yeah. and you know so what what are the sort of I don't know what's the right word you know how do how do you kind of summarise what it is that you're doing here? What's what's you know what is this vision that you're now trying to achieve? So, we're naturally seasonal, seasonal, because uh, we just cook what's out there. That's it. You know what I mean, we're not. You know, we, we've scrapped this idea of having four distinct menus throughout the year because we found it restrictive, and seasons don't just change like that. Yeah. You know, that it's, it's, it doesn't make sense at all. And especially in, in terms of the guests, they th- they feel like they can't come back for three months because they're going to get exactly the same menu. So we were just like, this doesn't make sense. All we're going to do is we're going to cook what's out there best way to do that is to only use organic produce because it will only grow at certain times of the year so all our produce is now organic when we opened it wasn't that um, and yeah we, do, we just cook what's there that's it we use the techniques and the methods uh, that we know and that we like and all we, all we ever seek to do is just represent produce in its best light you know we're not going to make you're not going to cut circles out of wild, wild garlic we're not going to make a strawberry a square and you know if we have 
if we have a cabbage piece of cabbage on the menu, it needs to taste like cabbage. And, and that's pretty much it. Obviously, we use British produce now, exclusively. Uh, we were getting butter, butter from Sweden, from a nice old lady, but uh, we found some nice butter in the UK yeah, now that's that sort of matched up to it. <laughs> so it is exclusively British produce now. And, uh, yeah, just British ingredients, techniques, influences from, from all over the world. Why not? You'd be, you'd be daft to, to not use... Uh, a wealth of knowledge, ancient techniques and methods and, and way of thinking as well with food, like the Japanese and the Mexican, and you know, we have a strong Jap- Japanese influencer, um, but with British ingredients. And it doesn't come across as Japanese or Mexican or, or anything else, but genuinely it, is, it comes across as British. Well, and obviously sitting here, people will hear, the, which I love when I get on the podcast, the kind of noises from the day's prep happening. There's no, there is no boundary, there's no break between dining room and kitchen. Is that always kind of, you knew that was kind of going to be the, I don't know, like a talking point about what you wanted to do here? Yeah, absolutely. I think that we wanted to uh, go a step further with the idea of an open kitchen and literally just put the kitchen in the dining room. Yeah. And we thought, like, let's see how it goes. And yeah. people love it. Yeah, it's we so love it. cool. Yeah. You've not had anybody, like, really go and, like, get right up in with you, have you? No, no. I think people are a bit scared, to be honest. I to come up. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 I'd be peering behind your shoulder. Yeah, yeah. We wouldn't mind at all if people wanted to do that. Um, but no, I think people... During service, it's, um, it is quite a... Uh, I don't want to use the wrong word here. Um, very focused. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's very to the point. Yeah. No wasted movement. Yeah, things like it's like that. you're on a stage or something, isn't yeah, it? Because yeah. you're so visual, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think you never, as a diner, you know, we're at a lovely table here where you can see the whole kitchen. You, you know, you're never going to kind of forget what's going on around you and the work these people are putting in. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I think that was one of the things we wanted to do as well is to show people, you know, what it takes. You know, we don't have a bunch of raw produce in a stainless steel jail. You know, I'm just like oh, yeah, just chopping shit up and throwing it in a pan and things like that. You know, it's, it is very organised and uh, and you know people should be able to see a good what a good chef looks like. And you know, a lot of people make comments on uh, on that, saying you know the team are really well drilled and they know exactly what they're doing and teamwork is very apparent. You know, we don't have we're not like a traditional kitchen where you'd have somebody on a section or all they do is produce things that are assigned to them you know, everybody does everything here so there's a lot of moving around there's a lot of congregating in certain sections of the kitchen and it's just fun to watch um, especially for a chef as well. yeah. when chefs come to eat like, that's brilliant yeah, yeah. it's great and then, and then obviously for people who aren't in the industry it's, uh, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty enthralling and very immersive to watch you know so you get bored of talking of, you know <laughs> you get yeah. bored of uh, bored of you your dining partners then you can <laughs> yeah, just you sit can here just, and you've yeah. got an excuse you don't have to look at your phone you can watch the kitchen instead so so obviously the the podcast you know the, the main series what it's about we talk about recipes we talk about dishes things that have inspired you um, and I wanted to get from you seeing as you, you know you just said you take inspiration from all over the world techniques and stuff how do you kind of refine down and settle into you know that this is what this dish is going to be on on that particular day's tasting menu what you know what's the kind of filtering process if you like mm, well i mean we don't really chop and change that much you know everything goes through a process in order to get onto the menu and we're never gonna you know well we came up with this idea that as long as we just keep replacing things on the menu that are better than the one before it then we're, we're pretty safe you know and it's gonna as long as the flow works you know we we use the you know the old ideology of the kaiseki cuisine of you know a flow and, and a seasonality and 
you know, and hitting certain flavor profiles throughout the course of the meal and, and the idea of it building, but then resetting as well. Um, so as long as we stick to that and we replace old servings with better ones, then that's about it. But, um, you know, everything has a place, everything has a story and sort of a background. Uh, the beef tartare, which has just been on the menu for a few weeks, you know, it, it, we'll, uh, we, we can see that becoming something that is uh, a firm favorite. Uh, it is a firm favourite, but we can see it's something uh, staying on the menu for a long time now. So, I yeah. love a beef tartare. Yeah, well, we made a beef tartare that actually tastes like beef. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so, so what, can you can you tease us then? What are the sort of processes that will go behind a dish like that? What you know, yeah. How does it all come together? So uh, so obviously it starts with the sourcing of the beef. So we get a retired dairy cow, which is a UK from Yorkshire dairy cow. So obviously it lives yeah. its life as a Frisian, and it's reconditioned in the Kobe method. So that it's basically makes it edible because normally retired Frisians are fed to dogs you know it's, uh, it's dog meat it gets reconditioned so it's, it's serving two purposes in, it, in its life so from sort of an ethos point of view it's great um, you know it's, it's, it's having multiple purposes um, but it gives it you know like I said it's amazing depth of flavour um, what we do with that is just marinate it in some fermented beef or beef garum so it goes from the old fish sauce sort of technique where usually you would use like you would autolyze through the guts of the fish it was like a Roman thing uh, fish got salt water leave it out in the sun probably why they all died like really early on in their lives um, but we do it with beef in a more controlled environment and add koji to it it's like fermented rice it's Japanese again uh, koji salt and some mushrooms and we just leave it at 60 degrees for six, for six months it's technically not fermentation it's very very long slow cooking but we call it fermentation um, basically what you get is it's the most amazing beef stock something that really actually tastes the most intense beef flavour that you can, you can imagine basically like Bovril but more, more, very much more refi- uh, refined um, uh, we take that and we make an emulsion from the fat that comes off the, 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 the rib that we make the tartare out of so we melt that down we mix that with some egg yolks and uh, and yeah smoked beef fat sounds amazing yeah, yeah. yeah that sounds so good we've got some forced rhubarb uh, a little bit of beetroot juice to make a transfer to make that look like the, the tartar, but the tartar's underneath. And we've got some, uh, some oxalis, very acidic herb that goes around the outside, so a nice bit of acid. And using leaves properly as well, not just like two, three pieces of leaves on, on, a, on a plate, not really doing much there. You know, we, use, we, use, we like to use vegetation and, and leaves and, and herbs as you know, a main focal point of a, of a serving. And yeah, people, people really like that one. So. <laughs> so I don't know if you'll be surprised to know this, but this will be the first podcast that we've done out of Manchester so you're the first ones that we've come over and yeah. spoke to okay. uh, so I wanted to kind of get a sense of what it's like over in Manchester the foodie scene this is obviously kind of like a bit of an up and coming mm. cool area I've just had a little wander around trying to find you so I wanted to get the yeah. you know the sense of what's it like to be a part of the food scene over here I think it's extremely friendly for, first of all we've been welcomed with open arms by the other restaurants and things here um, everybody that comes in from the industry, they, you know, they're always inviting us to go to their places, and we do. You know, I, I basically spend my days off eating in, in friends' restaurants. Well, new friends now. Uh, well, they were new friends, not anymore. But uh, in friends' restaurants, and it's great. I love it. Um, I can imagine some cities are quite competitive and don't really have much to do with each other and things like that. Um, you know, Aidan Burns been great. He came in uh, almost uh, a couple, few months after we opened. And he, he put it perfectly. He said, "Look, I'm not, I'm not into this competitiveness and you know this uh, talking about other restaurants in, in a negative way. We might as well all support each other, especially in a restaurant like Manchester. You know, it's, it's what's 
what's the point in being competitive there's enough to go around it mm. so I mean it's not it's like big city yeah we're not in London you know yeah. it's not like people have to fight for, for guests for reservations and things like that you know, it, you know if somebody's into this sort of food especially in this sector they're going to get around all of us anyway at some point and the best thing we can do is have more great restaurants here because it's going to not only draw people from within Manchester but from outside as well yeah you know we've obviously got Paco Perez at Tast um, doing great things on the top floor there but Adam at the French Aidan Berman which has reopened uh, Manchester House as a restaurant MCR you know, we've got Where the Light Gets In in Stockport you know, it's, and, you know pl- these places didn't exist yeah. 10 years ago yeah. you know, we, you know, we've had so many people that have grown up in Manchester and always had to travel to Lake District or Birmingham to, to go in you know, mm. to eat at a restaurant in the sector they don't have to anymore which is amazing yeah. you know I mean I'm, I'm pretty late to the party to be fair yeah. here because you know Adam and Aidan have been in the city for, for a while well like it's been open for three years um, you know so I'm probably the last one yeah. I think I am yeah well between us and Tast yeah we're sort of the last ones to join it and, and it's great absolutely fantastic um, I hope that uh, Manchester can be recognised to be honest well, this is it, isn't it? Because there's that really interesting thing that all journalists do, and you read it in every single interview. And I try, I try not to admit that, you know, or say that a star is everything because it isn't. No, you know? but there, there is this thing, isn't there, about yeah. Manchester's famously like the biggest city without a starred restaurant. Yeah. Is that something that kind of bothers? Do you think the people around in the area, or I think it bothers the people who think that the guide have something against them, but they don't. I yeah. can't see why they would. That'd be like the weirdest, yeah. like sort of controversial cons- <laughs> don't like conspiracy like yeah. it's, a cons- it's, it's almost a conspiracy theory yeah. it's like no the Michelin just don't like Manchester yeah, yeah, yeah. of course what, yeah. what? <laughs> anybody who says that is obviously doesn't know how it works um, but no I mean I think it's uh, it'd be great if we were recognised by such an amazing guide not just as this restaurant but as a city you know mm. it'd be great you know they have standards in your mind at all is it in the back of your mind to think yeah. to be the first Oh, I'm not bothered about being the first. It'd be nice to be recognised, of course, but it's a well-known guide, a very well-known guide. You know, it'd be, it would be nice to, to be recognised by it, but um, it's not in our minds every day. You know, the most important thing to us is, is are the guests. Yeah. And that's it. You know. Well, I think it's something, and I must confess that I've really kind of opened my eyes to because starting out in the world for foodie, not to say that I wouldn't go somewhere if it wasn't a Michelin, but you know, special occasion, it would be it has to be a Michelin star or otherwise I'm not going there for my birthday and I've kind of realised you know and hands up admitted it that there's so much more out there and it's just one particular you know well respected as it might be guide but there's so many other you know you look at a place like this and you think well you know why on earth wouldn't I want to come here (laughs) well yeah I mean the the guide does its job Uh, Michelin guide it it does its job and it, it is a sure sign of quality and you know you can trust that guide uh, but you know that being said, there's plenty of other restaurants. You know, they can't they can't eat at every restaurant every year. Mm. And so <laughs> you know, it's not like uh, just because it doesn't have a start, it's not a good restaurant at all. You know, um, obviously we've only been open for six months. Yeah, I was going to say because obviously you know, you're still young. So is it something that you do? You know, sit down and think, right, what does the future of this look like? Or are you a little uh, bit more kind of organic? Uh, obviously, we we always need to have a plan for sure. Um, God comes out in October. Like I said, it would be great to be recognised. Uh, but, you know, if it doesn't happen, it's not a deal or an end all. You know, we've still got 
you know, well, we don't do a lot of covers, but <laughs> we've got about 110, 120 people a week that you know are all extremely happy. We have amazing comments from people, amazing comparisons. Um, so yeah, I mean, it'd be nice, but it's not going to really change anything um, in terms of how we work. You know, we're not going to start working differently. We're not going to put tablecloths on and you know start playing. A pian- you know, put a pianist in the corner. Obviously, that's very, very old school. Uh, <laughs> that would be cool. We could just fit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> remove a table, yeah, yeah, put yeah. the prices. No, yeah. we're not going to do any of that. We're not going to change the prices if it happens or anything <laughs> like that. It's not. It wouldn't change anything. Uh, you know, because at the end of the day, if, if that's the recognition that we're getting, because of that's because of what we're, we're doing now. Yeah, it's not because of you know we wouldn't change. So I'm, I'm really interested in looking kind of use to kind of finish off because, like I said, you know we're we're here we're in prep time now we're getting ready for the day so what what does kind of like a typical day at manor look like you know what what's the kind of processes involved uh so we get in between about half seven and eight a.m all the produce you know it's, it's very much accepting produce at that time checking it off uh getting it away and then we'd start what we call sort of like a production period basically where everybody works together to accomplish large tasks things that require a lot of hands uh, we're not going to make one person pick 50 kilos of parsley on their own uh, so obviously everybody gets involved with that picking time making the rhubarb transfers at the moment um, uh, potting peas things like that basically all work together then we'd have breakfast uh, family meal we'll sit down together have a little break and then come back and start working on the sections um, as, as, as individual you've got the, the four sections here uh, get ready with that we have a tasting everything every day that's been made on the day has to be tasted by myself and, uh, and the sous chef Josh and then uh, again dinner two meals a day very good ones and then uh, nice little 40 minute break come back uh, have a meeting do dinner service have a meeting for the next day clean up go home go to bed that's it that is every, that's every day and then we do that f- you know four times a week and that's it well I have to say you know I'm really really glad that I've got over here I'm really glad to got to meet you it's just something I've really been excited about kind of since I saw it and I think like you say you know to now is the stage where I think you're doing your own thing and I can yeah. see that from your you know Instagram feeds and social feeds that you're really starting to put your own stamp on it mm. and I, I do honestly say well think that this is going to be one of the most exciting restaurants for people to keep their eyes on so i can't really recommend you guys you know highly enough to come over and and i will be back (laughs) as a guest (laughs) thank you thank you so much great having you yeah great to meet you thank you Yeah, because it's so relaxed, you know. You yeah. Can get no, absolutely. Yeah, and especially when you're someone like the head chef, like yeah. you know, it's kind of the owner. Yeah, it's one of those where you know, the world, anything can yeah. kind of go. So yeah, I can see that happening. To be honest. <laughs> so, so Simon and I, we were talking uh, about you know in my kind of research stages, if you mm-hmm. like, about just how ambitious I kind of thought this whole project yes. was. And so I kind of was thinking, you know, from that, you know, you walk in here and you look at the the environment and mm. the setting and stuff. How 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 do you kind of go about setting the tone 
of the service because I think that could be quite interesting in a place like this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very important to make people make people feel relaxed as soon as they come in. Like you said, because you've got this space which especially with the open plan kitchen it it can be quite daunting for guests when they come in and they see all the chefs there you know working away on the food and stuff so our kind of job I guess is front of house to make sure that when they come in they know that you know we're all you know we're all under 28 I think most of us you know I mean it's a lot of people's not first time in the kitchen but first time in a kitchen like this and so yeah I think you need to make sure that everyone feels relaxed and they know that there's not going to be sort of any judgment everything here is going to be quite you know it's, it, there's some dishes that are a bit out there but you know like we you know we find out beforehand what people like what they don't so every time we come in it is going to be an experience but one hopefully feel relaxed and happy enough to kind of sit down and go like, yeah this is alright this I guess because it's obviously you know you eat now as a diner eat at loads of different places yes. and, and obviously you kind of judge on the food but I think actually the thing that you remember is the service it's like how they yeah. make you feel right yeah absolutely and I think we're actually in a great position here well us just kind of front of house especially that the chefs are so involved with that because I've worked in places before where you've worked in places even with open kitchens but you're still the sort of pinnacle point uh, for that service you're the person who you know relates with the chefs and things like that whereas here because it's you know it's nine tables got about sort of eight or nine chefs three or four front of house like um, I forgot what I was going on that one, to be honest. Um, I know what you were saying. It's like it's the kind of collaboration, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, yeah, it's this collaboration with the chefs bringing the food out as well. Um, it makes our job so much easier because, you know, you can talk about a dish as much as you want, but when the chef who's literally just finished plating that dish up brings it straight out of the kitchen, straight to your table, and you've watched every step of that as it comes over, and then they explain it. No, it's front house, man. It's like the easiest job we've had because, like I said, the, the diner's just so mesmerised by the space, the chefs and stuff. All we've got to do is be in the background, make sure they've just got everything they need, topping up waters, topping up the wine, giving people the cutlery, you know, what they need to eat, and then you take a step back and ask them how they how they found it at the end. And obviously, we're in a great position as well that the food is of such a high quality that you know it's very rare you get any bad feedback, and also some of the ingredients are very you know very unusual. Um, so it's a great talking point you know it's it's not hard to find something to talk to the guests about and that's sort of our job as well is just to make sure well to make sure but to just engage with the guests like I said because chefs can do it for a very quick amount of time but they've got to go back into the kitchen and do the other one so you've got to then carry that on and find out how they're finding it kind of picking that up isn't it yeah absolutely making sure that you know like we're obviously repairing the wines there how they're finding that and again bringing it back to making sure they feel relaxed and it's just you know you're getting 18 courses but Just yeah, good food with just some relaxed people around you. Like, there's no need to feel kind of intimidated or anything like that. It's just it is what it is. Is it you know kind of like quite daunting maybe in a way to kind because you know there is I think anyway if I were dining coming in here I'm going to have quite high expectations straight away. Looking at the kitchen, knowing the reputation, you know there's there's like a lot to live up to, right? Absolutely, yeah. And you, yeah, you obviously walk in, see the space. Like I said the kitchen. There's a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, having worked here, obviously getting up to about sort of six months now. Like the feedback's been incredible. Like the best I've ever been a sort of a part of. So that kind of definitely makes us relax a little bit as well when we know that the food coming out is of such a high standard. And even those people who aren't massive foodies or maybe brought along with a group and they're not particularly sure about it, 
we're confident in sort of Simon's food and again our sort of uh, our service that we know that we should probably win around there are, there are going to be a few dishes that I want to like you know some really strong flavours in there but there are also ones that are probably a little bit biased but I don't know how people cannot like these dishes you know what I mean like the, the eel for instance once you get your mind around the fact that it is eel because that puts a lot of people off but it's it's like a stick, you know. It's a blueberry vinegar, yeasty, but it's like on the barbecue on a stick. It looks, um, it looks like sort of a chicken teriyaki. You probably won't, you won't thank me for saying that, but it's exactly what it looks like. And then you have that. It's on a stick, and you have it. And again, that's the one dish I've never seen anyone leave. For instance, you know, as an example, that's been on from the very beginning, and without fail, empty sticks come back every single time. You're looking for empty sticks. <laughs> yeah, basically, empty sticks on a red napkin. That's what. How how, uh, how did your involvement with Manor come about? Um, so I used to work over at uh, Manchester House when that was open with Aidan Byrne. I uh, went travelling for a little while, and, and I came back and opened twenty stories. And I was always been keen on fine dining. When I was at Manchester House, it was very much our sort of mission statement was to bring Manchester that first Michelin star and for one reason or another exactly it, it just didn't didn't come through um, and I guess that was still a, well it still is a, a sort of dream that I want to do you know I'm from Manchester I've lived all my life here um, and I think it's absolute it's criminal that we've not got one and so back in there, Manchester House didn't get it. It was unfortunate. Went so many stories that didn't work out. That's not. It's not on the same caliber. It's very high, high volume, high turnover of um, of tables and things. And it was just by luck. One of the chefs at Twenty Stories told me about this place was opening, and literally just applied online. But I was I guess I was quite lucky that I did have experience within fine dining um, and fine dining in Manchester as well, which I think was quite a big um, sort of factor in it uh, because you know as the famous quote, Manchester, we do things a little bit differently here so that's what I mean you know it's, there's no white tablecloths there's no sort of like gloves it's not pretentious at all like I said goes back again to that just relaxed quite informal fine dining experience that they've got and again I had sort of a bit of experience in that so yeah that, def- that definitely helped for sure so I don't want to put you too much on the spot I know literally you've just been dragged over but I only asked because I was reading an article from James Close who's been on the past before about front of heart house and how you know we talk about chef shortages and yeah. what have you um, but you know he feels there's a real problem with it I guess you know you said in your experience Manchester house what have you where do you kind of lie on the you know the issue of retaining good front of house I don't think the front of house style has actually been that much of an issue um, me and Sam have been here from the very beginning uh, Sam Alcimelier and we are sort of the only two full time members of staff um, that we've got we've got uh, Luca who would be living in a Zoom with us um, and then we've also got Jen who's come over from a two Michelin star uh, restaurant and um, in terms of the front of house I think we've only lost two really um, and that's just for you know it's not for everyone this it's a very very different style of of service and you know we come in from 10 or 11 o'clock more you know sometimes earlier but we don't sit the first tables unless it's saturday until half six so you've got all this time to prepare then you go into the service as i mentioned the chefs bring the food out there's no we don't have any pads on us we don't take any orders really we just you know it's all by memory and we don't have to weigh any food we don't have to put anything through the tills really like that so it's, it's very different, very different to anywhere I've worked before. And I think for some people that is 
you know they struggle to get their head around it people go into hospitality for different reasons I find some people really enjoy the you know the fast paced loads of tables running around getting that kind of buzz and you know you finish then you go home kind of thing whereas here it's a lot more sort of methodical you come in most of your day is spent preparing for those guests so in theory when those guests then come in that is when not the easiest part of the day by by any stretch but it's you know in in terms of a service it's definitely the sort of most prepared service that we can do you know what I mean that's what you're there for exactly all the cutlery is already pre-laid you know we're doing all the glasses and we know we know exactly which table you know which guests are going to be sat on what table what they like what they dislike if they've been before you know we're building up a a sort of log as well of the wines that they enjoy if they return and what water they've had so you know in theory in a couple of months time we can have a returning guest come in sit them straight down go all right we know exactly what water you want would you like to go for that wine again or something you know sam is brilliant he'd be able to find something uh, slightly different or along the same lines and so yeah, it's been a. I think that's massively interesting. Actually, I've never had anybody kind of talk about that approach before, almost having a, a, a log of your guests. Because I talk a lot to people in, in the industry about something that I heard on a podcast of Heston Blumenthal, where he talked about time and place. And I think little things like that, for me as a guest, that's what creates that. Yeah. So is it? Is it? is that what it's about you know it's creating that little moment for the guest of, yeah. you know I've been here before and they remembered or you know wow they've taken the time to yeah that, that's exactly it and it's just it's creating the best experience possible for those guests yeah. they mentioned you know it's one of those where we take we can take as much as we can out of their hands almost so again they can sit down don't have to look at them food menu you know i mean we know pre-hand what you like what you dislike we've catered the menu for that it's going to be some little bit surprises in there and things by you know by all means because the menu is not always up to date it's constantly not constantly changing but it is subject to change and um, and yeah so we want to make sure when the guests come in it's literally a case of we you know just sit back relax we will get everything sorted for you um, and just again making that experience the best it possibly can be I think when you come into a place like this because you know we have nine tables sort of 30 guests maximum really sat down at, at any one time and that's like really maximum style that um, so there's almost no excuse that you know if you've come in before we, sh- we should recognise you it's welcome back it's you know how you know we've changed the menu a little bit we know that you really like this dish we've kept that on for you we know you weren't too sure about the crab for instance or whatever so you know we've given you the vegetarian option that kind of yeah. thing so and they go you know it, it blows a lot that's, of people yeah, that's a, yeah like, wow. I mean I'm kind of that's really cool I have yeah. to say that's, a, that's a, I think if you carry on doing that you'll, mm. you know people like me who are, I, I don't consider myself a fussy diner but I've got like I've got standards, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Know? No, yeah, of course. I, I remember talking because I eat my cutlery the wrong way round. Right, so yeah, I have yeah, my yeah. Um, fork in my right hand. And I always said to, to people in front of the house, I kind of judge if the service notice during yeah. the night and then start laying it that way, that really impresses me. So it's, it's like kind of little things that it's like yeah. almost kind of like, what's going to what's going to wow that yes absolutely and it brings out something my kind of very first boss said at my house he said you take care of the little things and the big things kind of take care of themselves and that's one thing that I think everyone who works here especially front of house 
ideally that's what they want I've worked in places with massive sections where you don't have time to talk to your guests you don't have time to get to know them and notice that these notice these little things so you know when I've had a section four of eight tables this whole restaurant is nine and we've got four front of house people to do these do these nine tables so it's one of those where there's like it is a bit of pressure because there's no excuse for not picking up on these little things you know a little bit of drop of water on the table that needs to be wiped up like I said the guest um, cutlery the other way around you need to notice that remember it and again you know, there should be enough people that they go over to the laptop into our booking system write that down guest eats left handed can come in next time swap around it's yeah. easy as that yeah. and that's that's one of the great things about this place is it allows you to, to notice these things and make that experience the best it can for the guests where you know like I said all those little things and then the big things take care of themselves really yeah. so you were saying um, Manchester lad and Simon and I were talking about the Manchester food scene I'm from Leeds this is only my second ever time into Manchester and the first time doing the podcast so I need to get an insight you know how you know what you know how has Manchester changed as a food scene you know is you know is it as exciting as people are really saying it is I, I, I think so <laughs> absolutely I mean especially where we are right now and Coates I mean you only got to look around there's so many places popping up it seems like a really upcoming cool it's, area it's fantastic yeah, yeah I mean I've worked in over at Spinning Fields again there's so much going on over there you know the northern quarter the, the food scene's massively picked up I mean Manchester as a whole I think is is growing you only need to look at the amount of cranes and stuff that are going on all the building work uh, obviously like Media City coming over and the BBC you know it's, it's constantly growing we get a lot of people from down south which I think is they're bringing their influence for better or for worse um, like, careful yeah <laughs> you can hear from my accent I'm not a Yorkshire <laughs> so um, we're, lo- we're lovely our southerners we just get a bad rep <laughs> yeah absolutely but um, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely blowing up. I'd say um, the fine dining bit—that's been the sort of thing that's not been able to not been able to crack yet. Uh, people have come and tried, and you know they've gone back down to, you know, they've started as fine dining. They may have had to change it. You know, at twenty stories, we originally were going to have a fine dining section that just it just didn't work. You know, there was too many people, there were too many tables and stuff like that. Um, obviously Manchester House had its problems obviously reopened now restaurant MCR uh, you've got the French obviously over at the Midland Hotel which it, I guess is in a little bit more of a kind of privileged position that they've got the hotel to kind of back them you know what I mean the, the Midland is such a, a landmark in Manchester that you can do your fine dining restaurant and not not sort of worry about too much um, you know, no, it's not like here where we're a very we're an independent company. If this doesn't work, this you know, yeah. God, God forbid, you know, yeah. Simon's uh, Simon, yeah, yeah, knock, knock on wood, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, whereas the French, they've got uh, you know, the hotel behind yeah. them, and um, even Manchester House at the time, you know, had the, the bar upstairs, and it was a living ventures place, so it didn't work out in, in very. But it was open for a, a lot of years. You know, I mean, I think it was four or five years that, that place was open. Do you think it's kind of tough to get the proposition right? Because, you know, with the number of people in Manchester, then, you know, perhaps there are that many other places that they could go to. Or... Absolutely, yeah. And like I said, the quality of some of the food in the non-fine dining places is absolutely fantastic. And I think that does, you know, that means that people do struggle. Because, you know, when you're charging £105 a head for an 18-course tasting menu, yeah. it's not for everyone. And a lot of sort of bank unions, 
more so in the past. I'm not quite sure now. I think, like I said, it is it is old, it is changing a little bit. But definitely in the past, it was kind of like, no, why would you do that? Why would you go and spend 105 pounds when for 20 pounds you can get an amazing steak or a burger, nice bottle of wine or a couple yeah. of beers, and then you know you go out for your night and. Yeah, I think that's uh, well, is, something that we need to... In Leeds, you get that frustration that mm. when a chain moves out of London to come up north, it's normally like Manchester or Edinburgh, and it's like, yeah. well, damn, we always get looked, you know, overlooked yeah, yeah. by like a good, a, a good, reliable chain. Normally, you know, I prefer to go independence and stuff, but it is, isn't it? Manchester is almost kind of becoming that like proving ground, isn't it, for places like Yeah, that. absolutely. But I do think the, the independent places still have their place. As I said, oh, I think a lot of, you know, you only need to look around the northern quarter like there's no real chains there whatsoever even Ancoats you know to yeah, a degree you've got you've that. got Rudy's they've got one over in uh, on Deansgate but everything else is pretty you know it's all independent places yeah. and I think that's definitely got its spot for the kind of hipsters and the, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. people that want to you know they want to give back to them yeah. they don't want to do too much of the change you've got your spinning fields which will be all your chains. You've got obviously D&D London with 20 stories. Um, obviously, Living Ventures pretty much owned spinning fields, fields for a very long time. Um, so, you know, it can kind of divide up where you've got the crowd that goes to spinning fields where they can have all the chains and the places coming down from London. They absolutely love it. Or you go over to sort of more northern quarter places in Ancoats and it's more of the independent places. And it means that it's a good it's a good spread for people. You know, the people have got options. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is good and also then a, like you say a bit of a kind of problem yeah, tricky for a quality us problem. to charge yeah. 105 yeah. pounds for a menu when people have literally got well yeah wow yeah i've got so many places to choose from but it's yeah it puts, puts people in good so, yeah an awkward position i guess but then in terms of standing out i don't think you could do not really Thanks again to our fantastic series partners, ChefWorks. Check them out on social media. Just search at ChefWorks UK in Ireland on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Hashtag ChefWorksWearer if you wear ChefWorks and you want to feature. Or get in touch with us and maybe you can appear as a chef of the month. Now that would be really cool to see a chefy listener of the past feature as a ChefWorks Wearer of the month. That would be really cool. You can get in touch with me on twitter as well at the past pod uh, i am also the underscore past underscore podcast on instagram or you could email me with stories of best dining experiences perhaps celebrities in restaurants is always fun uh, i'm at paul at the past podcast.co.uk perhaps i will grovel with chef works for an apron for our best email that gets read out on the show that would be cool you could have your own apron chef works apron that would be really lovely to see somebody in that uh, you can take a nice picture for us cheers guys and uh, we will see you next time around on the past podcast cheers